Section 43 of The Broad Highway. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ellen Freckle. The Broad Highway by Geoffrey Farnall. Chapter 41. Light and Shadow. Now, as the little preacher closed his book, the sun rose up, filling the world about us with his glory. And looking into the eyes of my wife, it seemed that a veil was lifted for a moment there, and I read that which her lips might never tell, and there also were joy and shame and a deep happiness. See, said the little preacher, smiling upon us, it is day, and a very glorious one. Already a thousand little choristers of God's great cathedral have begun to chant your marriage hymn. Go forth together, man and wife, upon this great wide road that we call life. Go forth together, made strong in faith, and brave with hope, and the memory of him who walked these ways before you, who joyed and sorrowed and suffered and endured all things, even as we must, go forth together, and may his blessing abide with you, and the peace that passeth understanding. And so we turned together side by side, and left him standing amid his roses. Silently we went together homeward, through the dewy morning, with a soft green carpet underfoot, and leafy arches overhead, where trees bent to whisper benedictions, and shook down jewels from their dewy leaves upon us as we passed, by merry brooks that laughed and chattered, and gurgled of love and happiness, while over all rose the swelling chorus of the birds. Surely never had they piped so gladly in this glad world before, not even for the gentle Spencer, though he says, there was none of them that feigned to sing, for each of them he pained, to find out merry crafty notes. They ne spared not their throats. And being come at length to the hollow, Charmian must needs pause beside the pool among the willows to view herself in the pellicid water. And on this mirror our eyes met, and lo, of a sudden her lashes drooped, and she turned her head aside. Don't, Peter, she whispered, don't look at me so. How may I help it when you are so beautiful? and because of my eyes she would have fled from me, but I caught her in my arms, and there amid the leaves, despite the jealous babble of the brook, for the second time in my life her lips met mine. And gazing yet into her eye, I told her how, in this shady bower, I had once watched her weaving leaves into her hair, and heard her talk to her reflection, and so had stolen away for fear of her beauty. Fear, Peter? We were so far out of the world, and I longed to kiss you. And didn't, Peter? and didn't, Charmian, because we were so very far from the world, and because you were so very much alone, and—and and because, Peter, because you are a gentle man and strong, as the old locket says, and you do remember, she went on hurriedly, laying her cool restraining fingers on my eager lips, how I found you wearing that locket, and how you blundered and stammered over it and pretended to read your Homer, and how you sang to prevent me, and how gravely you reproved me and how you called me a creature, and how you deserved it, sir, and grew more helpless and ill at ease than ever, and how, just to flatter my vanity, you told me I had glorious hair. And so you have, said I, kissing a curl at her temple. When you unbind it, my Charmian, it will cover you like a mantle. Now when I said this, for some reason she glanced up at me sudden and shy, and blushed and slipped from my arms and fled up the path like a nymph. So we presently entered the cottage, flushed and panting and laughing for sheer happiness, and now she rolled up her sleeves and set about preparing breakfast, laughing my assistance to scorn, but growing mightily indignant when I would kiss her, yet blushing and yielding nevertheless. And while she bustled to and fro, keeping well out of reach of my arm, she began to sing in her soft voice to herself, In scarlet town where I was born, 
there was a fair maid dwellin made every youth cry well away her name was barbara allen oh charmian how wonderful you are all in the merry month of may when green buds they were swellin surely no woman ever had such beautiful arms so round and soft and white charmian she turned upon me with a fork held up admonishingly but meeting my look her eyes wavered and up from throat to brow rushed a wave of burning crimson oh peter you make me almost afraid of you she whispered and hid her face against my shoulder are you content to have married such a very poor man to be the wife of a village blacksmith why peter in all the world there never was such another blacksmith as mine and and there the kettle is boiling over let it said i and the bacon the bacon will burn let me go and oh peter so in due time we sat down to our solitary wedding breakfast and there were no eyes to speculate upon the bride's beauty to note her changing colour or the glory of her eyes and no healths were proposed or toasts drunk nor any speeches spoken except perhaps by my good friend the brook outside who of course understood the situation and babbled tolerantly of us to the listening trees like the grim old philosopher he was in this solitude we were surely closer together and belonged more fully to each other for all her looks and thoughts were mine as mine were hers and as we ate sometimes talking and sometimes laughing though rarely one seldom laughs in the wilderness our hands would stray to meet each other across the table and i would answer i while in the silence the brook would lift its voice to chuckle throaty chuckles and outlandish witticisms such as could only be expected from an old reprobate who had grown so in years and had seen so very much of life at such times charmian's cheeks would flush and her lashes droop as though indeed she were versed in the language of brooks so the golden hours slipped by the sun crept westward and evening stole upon us this is a very rough place for you said i and sighed we were sitting on the bench before the door and charmian had laid her folded hands upon my shoulder and her chin upon her hands and now she echoed my sigh but answered without stirring it's the dearest place in all the world and very lonely i pursued i shall be busy all day long peter and you always reach home as evening falls and then then oh i shan't be lonely but i am such a gloomy fellow at the best of times and very clumsy charmian and something of a failure and my husband peter peter oh peter i started and rose to my feet peter oh peter called the voice again seemingly from the road and now i thought it sounded familiar charmian stole her arms about my neck i think it is simon said i uneasily what can have brought him and he will never venture down into the hollow on account of the ghost i must go and see what he wants yes peter she murmured but the clasp of her arms tightened what is it said i looking into her troubled eyes charmian you are trembling what is it i don't know but oh peter i feel as if a shadow a black and awful shadow were creeping upon us hiding us from each other i am very foolish aren't i and this our wedding day peter peter come with me charmian let us go together no i must wait it is a woman's destiny to wait but i am brave again go see what is wanted i found simon sure enough in the lane seated in his cart and his face looked squarer and grimmer even than usual oh peter said he gripping my hand it be come at last gaffer be goin going simon dyin peter fell downstairs a mornin doctor says he can't last the day out sinkin fast he be and he acts and free peter where be peter says he over and over again where be the peter as i found of a sunshiny afternoon down in the haunted holler 
You weren't at work's marnin', Peter. So I be come to fetch ye. You'll come back with me to bid good-bye to the old man? Yes, I'll come, Simon, I answered. Wait here for me. Charmian was waiting for me in the cottage, and as she looked up at me I saw the trouble was back in her eyes again. You must go, leave me? she inquired, for a little while. Yes, I felt it, she said, with a pitiful little smile. The ancient is dying, said I. Now as I spoke my eyes encountered the staple above the door, wherefore, mounting him on a chair, I seized and shook it, and, lo, the rusty iron snapped off in my fingers, like glass, and I slipped it into my pocket. "'Oh, Peter, don't go! Don't leave me!' cried Charmian suddenly, and I saw her face was very pale, and she trembled. "'Charmian!' said I, and sprang to her side. "'Oh, my love, what is it?' "'It is as though the shadow hung over us, darker and more threatening, Peter, as if our happiness were at an end. I seemed to hear Maurice's threat, to come between us, living or dead.' "'I'm afraid,' she whispered, clinging to me. "'I am afraid.' But all at once she was calm again and full of self-reproaches, calling herself weak and foolish and hysterical, though indeed I was never hysterical before, and telling me that I must go, that it was my duty to go to the gentle dying old man, urging me to the door, almost eagerly, till being out of the cottage she must needs fall a-trembling once more, and wind her arms about my neck with a great sob. "'But, oh, you will come back soon, very soon, Peter?' and we know that nothing can ever come between us again, never again, my husband. And with that blessed word she drew me down to her lips, and turning, fled into the cottage. I went on slowly up the path to meet Simon, and as I went my heart was heavy, and my mind full of a strange foreboding. But I never thought of the omen of the knife that had once fallen, and quivered in the floor between us. "'Twears the snuff-box has done it,' said Simon, staring very hard at his horse's ears as we jogged along the road. He were a-goin' upstairs for it, and slipped, he did. Simon, says he, as I lifted of him in my arms, Simon, says he, quiet-like, I be done for at last, lad. This poor old feather o' yourn'll never go a-climbin' up these stairs ni mer, says he. Never, no, mer. After this Simon fell silent, and I likewise, until we reached the village. Before the bull was a group who talked with hushed voices and grave faces. Even old Amos grinned no more. The old man lay in his great four-poster bed, propped up with pillows, and with Prue beside him to smooth his silver hair with tender fingers, and Black George towering in the shade of the bed-curtains like a grieving giant. "'Here I be, Peter,' said the old man, beckoning me feebly with his hand. "'Here I be, at the parting of the ways, and with some a gone wrong with my innards. When a man gets old as I be, his innards be like glass, Peter like glass, and apt to fly all to pieces if he goes a-slippin' and slidin' downstairs like me.' "'Are you in pain?' I asked, clasping his shriveled hand. "'Just a twinge now and then, Peter, but, Lord, that ain't nothing to a man the likes of me, Peter.' "'You always were so hale and hearty,' I nodded, giving him the usual opening that he had waited for. "'Aye, so strong as a bull that I were, like a lion in me youth. Black jarge were not to me. A cart-horse I were.' "'Yes,' said I. "'Yes,' and stooped my head lower over the feeble old hand. "'But after all, Peter, bulls pass away, and lions and cart-horses lose their teeth.' and gets wore out. For all the flesh is grass, but iron is iron, bain't it, Peter? Rusts it do, but tis iron all the same, and lasts a man out, even such hardy chap as I were. Sometimes, I said, without looking up. I be very old and tired, Peter. My heart be all wore out with beatin' and beatin' all these years. Tis a wonder as it didn't stop afore now, but a staple, Peter, don't have no heart to go beatin' and wearin' of itself away. No, ancient. So here be I, a-standin' in the valley of shadow, and waitin' for God's angel to take me hand, for to show me the way, 
"'Tis a darksome road, Peter, but I bean't afeard, and there be a light beyond Jordan water. No, I aren't afeard to meet God as made me, for the Lord is merciful and very kind, and I don't suppose he'll be very hard on an old, old man as did his best, and went hard all tired and wore away with beaten. I be ready, Peter, only—' "'Yes, Ancient. Oh, Peter, it be that there old staple, as it'll go rustin' away and rustin' away arter the old man has watched, so as laid in the earth and forgot about.' "'No,' said I, without looking up, but slipping my hand into my pocket. "'No, Ancient.' "'Peter! Oh, Peter, do we mean—' I mean that although it had no heart, the staple was tired and worn out, just as you are. So I brought it to you. And I slipped the rusty bit of iron into the old man's trembling palm. Oh, Lord, he began in a fervent voice, Oh, dear Lord, I got it, Lord, the old staple. I be ready to come to thee, and joyful, joyful, and for this mercy and benefit received. Blessed be thy name. Amen. He lay very quiet for a while, with the broken staple clasped to his breast, and his eyes closed. "'Peter,' said he suddenly, "'you won't have no one to bring you news no more. "'Why, Peter, be a-crying for me? "'Tis true, twere me found ye, "'but I didn't think as you'd go to cry tears for me. "'I be going to take old staple with me, Peter, "'all along the road, and Peter, yes, ancient, "'be ye quite sure as ye aren't a duke? "'Quite sure. "'Nor nor? "'No, ancient. "'Not even a baronet? "'No, ancient. "'Ah, oh, well, you be a man, Peter.' and tis summit to have found a man, that it be. And now he feebly beckoned us all nearer. Children, said he, I be an old and ancient man. I be a-goin' across the river to wait for ye, my blessin' on ye. It be a dark, dark road, but I've got to old staple, and there be a light beyond the river. So the ancient sighed, and crossed the dark river into the land of the light eternal. End of Light and Shadow <laughs>